to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm writer, filmmaker, and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, actress, filmmaker, and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about how a book gets made with the person who's making a book. Right now, it's, it's me. Mallory O'Mara. <laughs> <laughs> and talking about weird stuff found in, a li- in library books. But first... What are you reading, Bria? I'm reading a book by person that we is going to be on an upcoming Reading Glasses podcast. Ooh, what book? Uh, it is Here and Now and Then um, by Mike Chen. Ooh. It is about a time-traveling uh, agent, secret agent from the future, who comes back to, I think it's like 1996 or something. And You he, do love a good 90s book. I love a 90s book. Well, he goes to 96, and then he completes his mission and he's, but his little thing that brings him back gets destroyed, and they're supposed to come back and get him, and they don't show up. So he just stays and lives his life. Cut to 18 years later, so like now-ish, mm-hmm. um, he, uh, someone shows up and they're like, oh, we're here to get you. And he's like, uh... It's like, I have a family now. I have a family. I got married, and he's not supposed to do any of that stuff. And they're like, well, it's only been two weeks on the other end. And so it's him dealing with that it's a really fun time travel not like too spooky but more just like um like fun science fiction where this guy has to deal with you know what what it means that now he has a family and then he has also has to deal with what was what he has forgotten about his previous timeline that sounds amazing yeah it's awesome what are you reading uh i am reading the heart is a lonely hunter by carson mccullers i have never read it and it's like a classic it's uh it's a literary fiction and it's about this man who is deaf and uh, mute and he lives down south um and it's just about like his life in this tiny real poor town in the south and like the people who he interacts with and um just how he gets by and it's really I mean I'm, I just started it and it's like this classic that's like one of those like classic books that you hear about but I've never read and uh, I got it uh actually I got it last year I think when Alan and I went to Ojai for Valentine's Day which we're actually doing again this year yeah. um and uh yeah now I'm excited you know we record these episodes early because yeah. this will come out after <laughs> Valentine's Day <laughs> so that's uh, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter by uh, Carson McCullers and mine is Here and Now and Then by Mike Chen so we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Jesse wrote in with a reading tip. I used to hate listening to music while reading, mostly because lyrical music distracted me, and I've never been a huge fan of intro- instrumental music. Lately, I found a solution that's probably doubled my daily reading time. Listening to music in my favorite genres in other languages. Ooh. Spotify makes playlists that combine language preference with genre preference, so I've been really vibing with French indie pop. Pop music keeps me pumped and awake, but it's in French, so I never get distracted. And nothing sounds cuter than a French indie pop. I mean, it sounds adorable. It sounds very adorable. This is some genius level um, book tip. So Harold wrote in with their wheelhouse. Uh, here it is. Fairies in a modern setting into it. Vampires. LGBTQIA plus characters. Uh, strong women characters. New Zealand LGBTQIA plus history. Wow. Specific. Yes. Animal familiars. Mallory loves it. Talking trees. And references to classical studies. Um ancient Rome slash Greek, etc. And then Mary wrote in with the wheelhouse, which is high fantasy and women wielding sto- swords, <laughs> sky pirates, yes. gays in space. I also love a gays in space. Gay, gays. One uh, gays in space, please. Uh, <laughs> uh, stubborn yet noble redheads. <laughs> Specific. Reincarnation. 
Books that make me whisper what the fuck at increasing volumes as I'm reading them. And most recently, Lovecraftian and Cosmic Horror. Love it. Really good wheelhouses this week. Uh, so you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and the five-star review of the week is from Lynn Lee that says, Readers are leaders. I love this podcast. Uh, and they sh- Lynn Lee is reading Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. Thank you, Lynn Lee. So before we start talking about how a book gets made, we're going to take a quick break. Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we're the hosts of Dr. Game Show, which is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners regardless of quality or content with in-studio guests and callers from all over the world. And you can win a custom a magnet. A custom magnet. Subscribe now to make sure you get our next episode. What's an example of a game, Manolo? Pokemon or medication. How do you play that? You have to guess if something's a Pokemon name or a Medi- medication. medication. First time listener, if you want to listen to episode highlights and also know how to participate follow dr game show on facebook instagram and twitter we'd love to hear yeah, from you it's really fun for the whole family we'll be every other wednesday starting march 13th and we're coming to max fun snorlax pokemon yes nice so this week Holy shit. Holy shit. Holy shit. My book comes out in less than a week. Uh, so we are going to talk about... Less than a week. Crazy. What day does it come out? Uh, March 5th. You like how I said like I didn't know the answer? <laughs> that was called acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we're going to talk about how a book gets made and surprising things that we, Mallory and Bria, learned as readers who became authors. Which I was going to say, oh no, but I've been an author for a while. But you, you know what? I was a reader before that. Yeah. I've always been a reader You're since I learned to read. Since you were in the womb. <laughs> nope. No. <laughs> so, uh, Bria, you're, you are writing a graphic novel right now, and you've written comics. What was a surprise for you to find out when you crossed over and, like, became an author and, like, saw things from the other side? I think one thing that really surprised me is how hard it is to get a book made. Mm-hmm. I know that—I mean, self-publishing, different universe, I don't—I underst- don't—I mean, I, we've done an episode on it. I understand And it's still difficult, but it's difficult, and it's different types and of difficulties. And I would love to have another self-publisher on because I'm mm-hmm. someone who's self-published because I feel like that's something people are really interested in, yeah. and I can't uh, speak to that. But I also can't tell you the number of times that I have people come to, say, to me and say, I got this great idea for a comic, and I'm like— uh huh. And they're like, I just need a publisher, an artist to do it for free. I need it all for free, but my idea is yeah. great. It's amazing how easy this stuff is when you're not paying people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always am like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I, you should totally write this up, but just to know, so you know, you're going to, ha- if you are not paying your artist, if you're not self publishing it, if you're going to go through a publisher and you want them to do it for free, you're not going to a place like Image or something. Um, you're going to have to pitch it. You're going to pitch it like you pitch a movie, and then you're also going to have to do the work. And then you have to do the work. But I think that, like, as far as, like, something that surprised me is how it's it's difficult to get a comic made. It doesn't—it seems like it might be easy because you pick it up and you're like, look, it's already done. But I think in the same way I learned when making a movie where I'm like, this is so fucking hard. Like, it's yeah. so hard to get it funded, yep. to go through the process, to get it done. But even that first hurdle, because I'm a person—I think— Here's the weird thing about art is that we all as art consumers come in as at the end. And this is going to seem so obvious when I say it. But then once you go through the process, you realize how long it takes and how yeah. people only see the end result, mm-hmm. which I think is why maybe I'm a little bit kinder to a lot of artists than I was before I became an artist yes. myself. No, I totally agree with all that stuff. And uh, I also 
completely agree with that was that was the thing that was I was most surprised about was how long things take. Yes, because we, yes. We are both time. filmmakers yeah. and we know that it takes a really long time to get a movie funded, make a movie, edit a movie, get it get it out there. <clears throat> But publishing is also super, super long. I've been working on Lady from the Black Lagoon for over three years now. I got the idea for it in December of 2015. Uh, And mine took longer because unlike fiction books, like, and not to say that fiction books don't need research, but I needed a year of research first um, to eat before I even could pitch it enough to get an agent. And then my agent, Brady McReynolds, took the book out and sold it to a publisher. And that took over six months. And by the way, folks, we got rejected by so many people. I think we got rejected by almost 50 different publishers. Oh my God. <laughs> and then it was another two years after we sold the book for it to come out. Uh, so it was, it, it take it's so, so long. And that's why people get really, it's amazing to me when people get so grumpy about sequels and they're like, you know, so it, Books can take so, so long because there's so many Oh, you mean they're grumpy about how long it takes? Yes. You know, there is, um, I listened to an interview, I can't remember who it was with, maybe it was Neil Gaiman. I'm going to credit him. Uh, But he said, you know, people are always like, wow, like your first book took you, only took you like a year to write, but your second book's taking you six years to write or something. He's like, no, your first book took you 33 years to write. Yeah. Because it's however old you are, you've been thinking about that idea probably for a really long time and then you actually wrote it. Yeah. And then second, I'm, I was so shocked by how little control you have over things. And I'm dealing with this right now because I'm about to go on book tour. Uh, and he, So as the author, I am the point person for the entire book. I am the spokesperson for my for my book. Mm-hmm. It is my book. But I'm not in control over so many things. A lot of authors are not in control of what the cover looks like, where yeah. you buy the books, yeah. where you do events. So you're the face of everything, but literally the only thing you have control over is the writing. So you can't just like pick stuff. Uh, You know, when you're a traditionally published author, your editor controls a lot of things and they're beholden to a board of people that you haven't even seen. They're probably like weird people in like cult robes or something. (laughs) Oh, I just picture them as like suits, but not normal, not cool suits, like 80s suits with like big fat ties. And giant shoulder pads. And oh, they got mustard right there on the front of it for some reason. (laughs) Well, so many people, and I feel bad because... you know, I'm, we announced my book tour. Uh, I have no New England dates. And uh, there's, you know, you can't, first off, you can't visit every city. But like every time I do an announcement, somebody's like, why aren't you coming to this city? Why aren't you coming here? Why are you, Why did you miss here? As if I'm like, you know what, Boston? Fuck you. Yeah. I'm not coming to Boston. But the thing is, I'm not in control over it. Some authors yeah. can like, you know, reach out on their own. But like. I can't afford to fly myself all over the country. So I go where my publisher wants to send me. So sometimes, in a, like, you know, we tried for a New England event and it didn't work out. And what am I going to do? Pay, like, I can't just march into a bookstore and be like, well, I'm doing an event here. Like, I, I have to, like, get invited by them and they have to approve. And then I have to get myself there and put myself up. If I did, if I was self-funding my this book tour, it would cost me thousands and thousands of dollars. Of course. So... You know, I and I feel bad because fans are constantly like, well, why aren't you coming here? I'm like, if I, I would got invited, I would go. Yeah. But so the best thing if you're, you know, as a reader, now I know that if I want to see, and this is also uh, comes into play for conventions and, and conferences yeah, and stuff. Yeah, for sure. And cons for, cons for sure. Yeah. So if you want to see someone some, somewhere, don't tell the author. They're not in control. Go to, like, email the con and be like, hey, I really want to see this actor. I want to see this director. I want to see this this author. Email the bookstore and be like, hey, I'm going to buy this book and I'd really love to see a reading. Can I say this, though? I It doesn't bother me when people say... I would love for you to come to this con. Like, it doesn't bother me. Especially, especially, this is a little hint, if you tag them in your tweet to me. Because then I respond and say, 
would love to come, would love an invite. And yes. then that con sometimes reaches out to me. Exactly. That's the thing is you have to loop them into the conversation. Yeah. I only get grumpy when people like get mad at me. Like a, there was a couple people who were like, well, why did you miss out on New England? As if I'm the one who's like, you know what? Fuck New England. We're not going there. Like I'm not in control of it. So right. like, and also it was so sweet. Someone on Twitter was like, also guys, remember that authors are human beings who need time off. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. Yeah. Like I'm going to be on book tour until June. Yeah. So like I'm already tired You're and I haven't even started. Being right now. You're just a book machine. I am a book machine. <laughs> You'd be like, you just open your mouth and pages start falling out Basically, all the time. <laughs> if you cut me open, I'm just full of ink. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, Bria, so you're, right now, you're in the middle of making a graphic novel right now. I am. I've actually, I've turned in, we finalized my draft. So we're done. We're getting like, um, we're getting like preliminary sort of pages. And so what for what was that process like for you? What was it weird to see as like someone who likes to read comics? I love reading comics. Um, yeah, well, I'm at the really fun part because I get these pages from my artist and it's really exciting because all these things that I've been working on, I guess I probably wrote this for about six months. And before that, I had it, I was, uh, had it written up as a television pilot. Um, and then that I, it just, the timing was weird. And um, when someone reached out to me and they were like, do you want to pitch an idea to this company? I was like, yes. And I already have an idea. It's just right now it's written in television pilot uh, format. So I just redid it for, for comic format. Um, so I, it's exciting right now because I'm getting to see all this come to life because I've been doing rewrite after rewrite. My graphic novel is 120 pages. So it, it took me about six months to get it to the place where we were, where me and my editor and the owners of the company, Six Foot Press, um, were all really happy about it. Um, and it's been, it's really awesome because comics is such a fun industry because you get to actually see things come to life in a visual way, which I obviously coming from filmmaking really like and giving, giving notes and just, just seeing how she is drawing all of it is so amazing because she just is like, literally doing exactly how I envisioned it. And I'm like, how are you in my brain? That's amazing. This is amazing. Yeah, it's it's such a fun process at this point. So you uh, do all the writing first and then the artist comes in. Yeah, I think people can do it other ways. Like there's a lot of times people will write up their ideas and then they'll get, um, you know, pitch art done or art done just like for a few pages to like show people what it will look like, especially mm-hmm. if you're in the pitching process. For this, it was, um, they, it was, um, a concept that they bought for me and then they I developed it and stuff. So so yeah, I wrote the whole thing 120 pages, which doesn't sound very long for until a graphic you realize novel. It is long. It's long. It's a lot. It took me a really long time. It was a lot of sitting in a room going over and over the same pages. But I have a really amazing editor and um she's been helping me through the whole process and giving amazing notes. So yeah, it's really fun. What about you? Um what 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 is the process like for writing a nonfiction slash memoir book. Uh, So for me, it was a little unusual. For a lot of fiction writers, when you sell a book traditionally, you have to write the whole thing because, you know, they don't know who you are. So they're not going to trust like a a proposal from you. But for nonfiction debut, I sold the book on proposal. So I did a year of research, pitched the proposal to my agent. He accepted it as like, I will represent this. Then he went to go pitch it to publishers. Um, So I was still in the process of writing it when we sold it to my editor at Hanover Square Press, Peter Joseph. Um, And then an interesting thing happened while we were while we were working on it, because before I started writing the book, way, way before Me Too happened. 
mm-hmm. and before Shape of Water came out. And for if you are just turning tuning in now, my book is basically like Julie and Julia, but for monsters. And it is it's a biography of a woman named Millicent Patrick, and she designed the creature from the Black Lagoon. She was uh, one of Disney's first female animators. And what, after she designed Creature from Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, the guy who was her boss at the Universal Monster Shop was so jealous of the uh, attention that she was getting from uh, the you know people being excited about her designing this monster that he fired her. She never worked behind the scenes again, and she disappeared, and no one knew what happened to her. Um, and then, so I I I did a a ton of research and I found everything about her life but also I put my own like a lot of my own stories as a woman because I work in the same industry that she does just 65 years later so uh, I really wanted to be like okay yeah this stuff happened to this woman 65 years ago but it's still happening now and yeah, here's not not a spoiler but not much has changed not much has changed <laughs> so I and I really wanted it to feel more urgent and alive so it's so easy to be like oh so sad this happened so long ago but no 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 it's happening now and here's an example from my own life as a filmmaker uh so and it was funny because all those all those publishers who rejected it rejected it because of that because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they weren't interested in hearing my part of the story. And mm. then Me Too happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, my editor, who I just adore, I just want to shout out Peter Joseph. He's just incredible. Uh, he was like, okay, because so, the book was supposed to come out in June and then it was supposed to come out in May and then it was supposed to come out in April and now it's March. So what I, so instead of writing the whole thing and sending it to him, I wrote the first part and then I sent it to him and he would do edits on that while I wrote the second part. Because wow, to, to push the date up. Yes. Yeah. So I handed in the finished draft in April 2018. I sold it in April 2017. And then once that was all done, we did copy edits. And so copy edits are not proofreading, but they're making sure everything makes sense and serves the purpose of the book. And then you do page proofs, which is more like typo hunting. And then I picked out all the photos and did the captions. So if there are listeners who got the advanced reader copy, there are no photos in that. There are only photos in the final copy of the book, and they're in the ebook too. Um, in some, in 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 that process, the cover design got designed. So there's so many steps, and there's mm-hmm. so. That's another thing is when yet yeah, the author is the point person for the book, but there's a huge team of people behind this book. At least when you're a traditionally published author, that that you don't even get to see, and that a, a lot of times don't get a lot of don't get any credit. But like I had an incredible team on this book, and I'm really. Um, really really grateful but it like I was surprised because like when I went finally went into my publisher I met all these people that had worked on my book and I'm like I don't even know who you are yeah oh my god thank you so much (laughs) that's super weird yeah because it's such a personal thing for you but then it goes off into like there's still people that I have never gotten to meet and it's just like very surreal yeah I've never met my editor in real life her name's Bethany Bryan. I don't know her. And I've never met my artist who lives in the UK. Her name's Yishan Lee. So, like, I've never met them in real life, which is yeah. so weird. We just talk over the internet. It's super strange. Mm-hmm. So, Bria, how has being an author changed how you are as a reader? Um, I mean, it's—like I said before, I think I've gotten nicer. Um, I wrote my first comic probably in, oh, 2008, maybe— Maybe something like that. Oh, wow. So, like, almost ten, to over 10 years wow. ago. Um, and so I think it's the same with being a filmmaker. Maybe less with being an actor. I guess I'm still harsh on other actors. Mm-hmm. Don't know why. Um, it's also the same as when I started playing in a band. So I started playing music when I was about 14. Um, I started playing drums in a punk band. And I realized that suddenly I was nicer to all the other bands that I wasn't, I didn't like. And I would talk less shit about them. Like, I would say... 
even if I was like, felt like they were kind of shitty, I would never say that band is shitty. I would just say, you know, it's not music I listen to or something like that because I would never want it to get back to them because that shit comes back to us. Yep. Unfortunately, it hurts. It truly hurts. Um, I have very tough skin. I've lived in LA for a while. I've been in this industry for a while. I still am hurt by things. Like, when I have a movie at a festival, sometimes I'm like, do I want to go? Because without fail, I will hear someone shit talk the movie I'm in. Yeah. Just because you're at a festival, because people yep. tend to talk about the movies and they'll be like, oh, I didn't like that one. And just that very simple dismissive, I don't like that one, hurts so badly because they may not know I'm in it. They may not know recognize yeah. me or they may not know that I'm the filmmaker. You know, yeah. like a lot of times they would have no idea, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that really... It, 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 like, demolishes me. And I just have to, like, let it go. So I think because of that, it makes me a more sensitive human when it comes to other people's artistic works. And, yeah. like, there's obviously there's a ton of shit I don't like. There's a ton of stuff where I'm like, that is not good. But that's my opinion. And there's a lot of people who do like the shit that I don't like. There's a lot of movies I think are trash. And people <laughs> are so into them. Or books that I think are complete garbage. Yeah. But they keep getting sequels, so they must be good. Someone likes them. Yeah. You know, and I try to, like, be more aware of that. What about you? How has it changed you as a reader? Uh, so I th- think the first thing is realizing how important pre-orders and re- are and requesting yeah. books from your library. We're actually going to do, I think next week we have an uh, episode about that. Oh, yeah. Um, when I was a kid, there's a, a series called The Unicorns of Balinor that I read when I was a kid. I think I told this story actually before, but the author's contract with the the publisher ran out. You have told the story. So there wasn't a last book. But when I was a kid, I thought, you again, you your only point of contact, you think, is the author. So I thought, I was like, she just didn't write another book. How could she do this to the fans? But it was the publisher who, like, she just didn't, her, like, her contract was over. So um, I, like, it has made me, I think going through the process of writing a book and seeing how the industry works has made me able to support authors a little bit better. Um, You know, the best thing readers can do is if they want to see more books or more events by an author is telling publishers, telling event folks, pre-ordering things. Publish people look at the author's first week sales. Mm-hmm. You know, you see it all the time on authors that are on Twitter or social media, like, oh, you can pre-order it. Like, cause that's the most important week. Mm-hmm. You know, everything else, like you might sell a bunch of books for the next few years, but the where other like when another publisher might want to buy another book from you, they they look at that first week sales. So it's just like it is so, so important. And it like for a while I felt bad, like really pushing it on social media. And then some of my other author friends were like, no, it's so important. Yeah. Just like, and sometimes people just don't know. It's like that thing where people are always like, like if a TV show gets, gets canceled and then suddenly people who, all the people who have been meaning to watch it, finally watch it. You're like, oh, or like when comic series get canceled, cause not enough people are buying it. Mm-hmm. Like if you really like something you want to, you got to support it. And even if you can't afford to pre-order it, request it from the library. Yeah. Cause then they'll buy it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just want to say, this is a good time to say, it's not too late for you to pre-order Mallory's book. You can do that right at this moment. Go pre-order it from your library. If you haven't ever done that before, this checks off one of your reading glasses challenges. You can just do that right away. And then send us some photos of it. Let us know that you're doing it. Send us photos of the library. Send us photos of when you pre-ordered it from your bookstore. Like, whatever. Oh, uh, yeah. First off, thank you. So, yeah, if you like Hollywood history or memoirs or filmmaking or feminism or horror or art history at all. Or Mallory. Or me. (laughs) There's a lot of funny jokes in it. Um, So, yeah, I think it definitely, that is one of the coolest parts about being an author is that as a reader, it helps, like, knowing how books are made and distributed, it helps me support people a lot more, makes me understand how things happen. Um, 
you know, people get George R. R. Martin is a great example. People are really grumpy at him for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, like people are really mad that the Game of Thrones books aren't out. But all, like when he first started writing those books, like he wasn't huge. Right. So he had time to write. And then all of a sudden Game of Thrones happens and he's like getting invited to every single conference and, co- and convention in the entire world. And then he has no time. Yeah. So people are like, well, you, we want you at every single Comic-Con, but also we want this new book. You can't have both. Yeah. So it's really it's it's hard to think about authors as people. Yeah. But we are. Yeah, as it turns out, <laughs> authors are people. Crazy. And they have lives. They have families. They have day jobs. They have all sorts of things. Yeah, like for me, people have been, like a lot of men are mad about my book because it's feminist. And people like telling me about that. Mm-hmm. And while I appreciate all of the folks who are reviewing the book, if you can review the book on Amazon, I would really, really appreciate it. Review it anywhere. Um People are like, well, or like, and I've seen some reviewers do this where they're like, well, a lot of people hate Mallory's book, but I like it. Like, I don't need to know the pe- that men are angry about my book. Right. I just don't need to know. Yeah, no. No, it's not. A, it's a, it doesn't help in any way. I mean, look, if you were planning on writing a book about how angry people were about your book, you would just do that research. <laughs> like, other than that, I don't think it's actually important. Other people, I mean, I know a lot of people who read all their reviews they read every single thing written about the thing that they do, and that, like, somehow motivates them or makes them happy. For me, it makes me really unhappy, and so yep. I don't read any reviews. If a review is sent directly to me, I will sometimes read it. If I am tagged, I a lot of times I just retweet it, which is weird because I've retweeted stuff that is negative, and I didn't realize it because I just didn't read the review. Yeah, just don't tag people in stuff that's <laughs> or, negative. Or tag them if it's a nice review. That's Yeah, funny. I love hearing nice reviews, but I don't need to hear about, like— the. What folks have to remember is those men come to me. Yeah. I, every day I get men telling me that I'm ugly, that I need to kill myself, that like all this stuff. Like I don't need more of that. Right. So just like I'm always happy to hear about the nice stuff. Yeah. And also, again, like it's just if you have a, a we, we've talked about this before. If you have a criticism of a book, like you think it's fat phobic or homophobic, that's one thing. But if you just didn't like it, that's not going to the only thing that's going to do is make the author sad. Yeah. They're not going to change the way that they write. Yeah. I agree. They're, they're just going to be like, oh, wow, this makes me they're sad just, today. They'll just never put out another book. <laughs> or, you know, it just, like, it's 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 hard, you know? So, and, like, that's why I'm not on Goodreads. Yeah. I haven't looked on Amazon. I just don't, like, it's that's that has been another big change that I talked about in another episode is that, like, it's changed me as a reader because I don't go to those spaces anymore. Right. Because I don't want to, reviews are for readers. They're not meant for me to look at them. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think there'll be a time when you're able to go back on Goodreads at some point. I do miss Goodreads but so do you, much. But, I mean, because it's not like I go on IMDb and look up every movie I've ever done to see what kind of ratings they have. In fact, I don't think I've ever done that. Yeah, I don't ever look at my stuff. Yeah. So I think you'll be able to at some point. Someday. Someday Goodreads. I feel like Goodreads is like a lover that I'll see again someday. I do miss it a lot. But, it, yeah, no, it has been really fantastic uh, to see the other side of stuff. Even just, like, I'm a reader, but I'm also a publishing nerd. Yeah. So every step of my book process, I'd be like, oh, this is how it happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, yeah. this is really cool. And, like, all these jobs that I did, like, I got assigned um, – uh, this woman named Lynette Kim, who's incredible. She's my library liaison. Oh, cool. And I found out she did this entire cool campaign. Who knew, Who knew about library to, liaisons? Like, all these librarians, she sent out this, like, cool package with, like, little creature action figures and oh, stuff. Oh, that's so cool. I had no idea. I had no idea that it was even a job. And now I'm like, this is, Lynette is the coolest person ever. Also, what a cool job. Yeah. 
Let's you, have her on the show. That sounds like a badass job. That would be really amazing. Yeah. Lynette, if you're listening, I would love to have you on the show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just, it's it's super cool. It has given me a great overlook of like how books get made, how to support them. And uh, yeah, and also I do want to, it's, it's so funny. A lot of people don't realize I sold my book after we had this idea for reading glasses. Is that true? Yeah, we started, uh, we came up with the idea for reading glasses January 2016. And by 2016, I mean 2017. Oh, okay. And yeah, but we just didn't start till much later because we did a lot yeah. of test episodes and stuff like that. Yeah, the uh, this ep- the podcast came out June 2016. Okay. But people and I had already sold my book, but people didn't realize that reading glasses had been in the works for yeah. months before it even like. Yeah, I even welcome knew. to behind the podcasting world. Turns out the first few do are not perfect, Surprise. and it takes a while to get it sold. And for someone to let you do a podcast, it takes a long time. So Life I books. am uh, feeling very. I feel so grateful that I have like the reading glasses behind me, mm. and it's been amazing. So thank you all. You've all been there through this very long process, and are now like supporting the book, which is just incredible. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's been fun. I feel like I'm tagging some of the things because because we're doing in case you're listening you're in los angeles area we're doing an event at the last bookstore on march 5th, uh, on march 5th and then one in san diego at mysterious galaxy and what day is that though the 8th yeah this is why mallory's around uh on on uh the 8th and people keep reaching out and they're like oh i'm gonna come to that i'm gonna come to that and it's like oh that's so exciting like yeah, I super assume fun you follow us because of reading glasses so yeah. that's really exciting it's hear. really cool so thank you all so yeah it's been uh very interesting to see See the other side. Mm-hmm. So you can send your thoughts on how a book gets made to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And before we answer a bookish question, we're going to take a quick break. Hi, I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. And we host One Bad Mother, a comedy podcast about parenting. Whether you are a parent or just know kids exist in the world, join us each week as we honestly share what it's like to be a parent. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it all starts with I'm awakened by children and I've never (laughs) there are children in my house they're waking me up and like the coffee doesn't even work anymore I've been drinking so much coffee for so many years straight now it doesn't do anything like I it just only makes sure I don't get a headache probably more medicinal now like I have to just drink it so that I don't probably get a headache So join us each week as we judge less, laugh more, and remind you that you are doing a great job. Find us on MaximumFun.org, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So now it's time to answer a bookish question from one of our listeners. Julie writes in, I've been thinking about bookmarks and I thought it would be cool to see what people find in their library books. I love finding the cool things people leave as bookmarks. Some of the things I have found are a boarding pass from Hawaii, two lottery tickets from Florida, (laughs) a $2 bill, an actual bookmark from the art museum in Chicago. Have y'all ever found cool stuff in books? Bria, what do you think? You know, it's weird. So, you know, I worked in a library and I was like, I must have something, but I can't think of anything because it's been like, you know, 20 years since I worked in a library. So I I can't think of anything and I mostly e-read. I love this question. It'd be really creepy if you found something in your (laughs) e-reader, like a weird like digital thing. Well, you know what's weird on the e-reader is that you can see what other people have highlighted if they if it's been highlighted multiple times. Wow. Yeah, I should buy your book actually when when it comes out. I, I bought a physical copy. I haven't bought an e-reader copy. Um, oh yeah, thank you so much. But when I 
but I, you can see like what people have highlighted. So you can be like, oh, that's interesting that that's what other people wanted to highlight. So that is a little bit of a like the ghost of other people's thoughts. Um, but I, I don't, because I don't get that many physical books from the library yeah. anymore. I don't see this kind of stuff. But I think this should be an open question for librarians and li- people who use Oh, libraries. yeah, please write into us and tell tell us all the weird stuff you found in books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about, what, uh, have you found anything? I wish I found some money in a book. No, That's really, like, that's a $2 Nirvana bill, too. Right there. That's, a, that's a fun one. Uh, I don't think I've ever actually found something cool in a library book. Uh, what I find a lot of are receipts. Uh, I do find them interesting because I'm always so, I'm really nosy and I'm like, ooh, what did Ugh, I buy? No, I love that. I, w- I, I can look through receipts all day. I, I want to know what receipt. Yeah, because then also on the CVS ones, if you flip them over, you can tell what else people are buying because it'll be like advertising shit that they've bought in the past ooh. if they use their CVS card. You know, because mine, it's always yeah. like, do you want contact lens solution? Because it's like, you love contacts. It's like, no, I don't, but I do buy it a lot. And it's like, that's always advertised yeah. to me on the back of those. Interesting. And I never use them. Yeah. Oh, I found some more. What I find more cool stuff in is used books. Oh, yeah. Because uh-huh. I feel like the live, at least the, I mean, I get a lot of books from the Los Angeles Public Library. I feel like the public librarians are very good. They're at dumping those books getting out. Getting that shit out of those out. books. Yeah. Wicked good at that. Go, well, well done, LA public librarians. Uh, but I found very, a lot of cool stuff in used books, like pressed flowers. Oh yeah, it's always very romantic. Yeah. Um, and I, my favorite thing to find is signed book, um, signed books and signed book plates, especially when a book is signed by the author to someone else. Oh yeah. I want to know the story. Why did that book get out there? I know that it's always I so sad when you're like to Johnny, the love of my life, from Mary, and then the book is like at books a million, and you're I like, how? You know, it's weird is that I won't sell books if they're signed to me. Because, yeah. well, one, my name is so unique that I'm like, are people going to know it's me? Oh, like, yeah, they're going to be like, same. how many Brias? Actually, I have, a, I have a good friend named Bria, so maybe it's hers. But blame other than hers. Blame it on her. Blame it all but on her. But, like, other I'm always Bria. scared to sell books that have my name in it. I will not sell them. I don't know any other Mallory's. What? Yeah. I feel like I do. I'll think about it. What other Mallory's do you there's, know? I mean, they're not like you, but they are. <laughs> um, I have a friend. She's going to hate me telling the story, but I have a friend named Nisha, and she does not like when I talk about other people named Nisha. It's like a very, she wants to be the only Nisha in my life. Yeah, I don't know any other Mallory's. One time I met a Mallory at a party, and we were like, huh, we had some Mallory bonding. I met a Valerie in a uh Valerie's in a my doctor growing up's name was Valerie. Oh, but I don't know it personally any other Mallory. I feel like it's like it's Highlander. I've killed all the other Mallory's and taken their power. Um. So you can, if you want us to solve your reader problem or answer your book, bookish question, or you want to send in something cool that you found in a library book, send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we want to thank Danielle and Kathy who run our Facebook group and Chrissy and Rachel who moderate our Goodreads page. Remember that you can buy reading glasses, tote bags and shirts and bookmarks in the Maximum Fun store. Link in the show notes. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's really great for us and helps us reach more readers. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast, on Instagram at readingglassespodcast, and you can always follow along on our bookish adventures using the general hashtag reading glasses podcast thanks for listening and And thanks thanks for reading only he would remember he and verity sheltered within the bubble of the instance operating field he alone would carry the memories of a broken universe he alone would carry the responsibility of wiping out and replacing everyone this made him neither god nor devil it only made him responsible Excerpt from Pilot X by Tom Merritt. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.